from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Do you ever think about the road not taken? How different our country would be if the capital had ended up being St. Louis, Missouri? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually asked that of the historians that I spoke with, and um, they seem to think that it would might might be uh, pretty good in a lot of ways, that it is um, sort of lopsided, that we do have so much institutional power of, of all kinds on the coasts now, and that if you did have the seat of government in the middle, it might sort of counterbalance that to some extent. So do you think, I mean, here you are talking to us today, you've written this great story about this. Do you think we can start a movement that we can restore <laughs> St. Louis to the place it, sh- it should have been? <laughs> it's a great idea. I'd love to see uh, people work on that. <laughs> I notice you're not volunteering yourself at this point. <laughs> I'm Sarah Fenske. Why should a nation that sprawls from the Atlantic to the Pacific have its capital on the eastern seaboard? It's a reasonable question now, but to many Americans, it felt even more pressing in the years following the Civil War. After all, traveling from the frontier to Washington, D.C. took not hours, but days. Some people unhappy with the capital's location came up with a bold idea to move the capital to St. Louis. That oft-forgotten piece of history is the focus of a fascinating new story in Smithsonian Magazine. And joining us today is its author, Livia Gershon. Livia, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. So take us back to the 1860s and 70s. What made St. Louis at the time seem like a better alternative to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, um, well, it's a number of reasons. One is that uh, people were not too happy with how Washington, D.C. was at that time. It was, um, it was kind of a mess. It was um, there were lots of mosquitoes. Um, the streets were dusty part of the year and muddy the other part of the year. Hmm. Um, and people had been complaining about this for, for a long time. Um, so there were moves in Congress to uh, fix that and to put a lot of money into fixing up Washington, D.C. And I think that spurred some people to say, wait, why should the Capitol be here at all? Um, given that uh, the, the country, so there's so much happening in the West, and many people felt like that was sort of where the future of the country was. Hmm. And St. Louis at that point um, was a city that was just growing leaps and bounds. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was huge. It was uh, much bigger than than D.C. at the time and, and growing very, very fast. Um, and, and just uh, to, to some people seem to have much more dynamism than the East Coast. Hmm. So the part of your story that really amazed me, there's so much great history you uncovered here. But the part that just blew my mind, they were going to move not just the seat of government, but they were going to move the buildings themselves. <laughs> what was the thinking with that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know how many people took that like 100% seriously, but definitely some people did. Um, they wanted to, to take the you know buildings apart, number them block by block, and uh, send them by railroad. Um, and I think one thing that speaks to is just the sense of possibility with the Civil War had, had opened up so much new logistics that people were doing all kinds of things by railroad. And they kind of thought, well, why not? Why not just move all these Capitol buildings and uh, send them off to halfway across the country? And did they ever get very far in the logistics of this? I mean, it, it seems like it would be something that would be so difficult to do. It didn't get all that far. Um, there were there was um, a number of bills that were in Congress to potentially move um, the capital either actually to St. Louis or somewhere in the Mississippi Valley was was how it was phrased in some of them. Um, but the the um, one that did the best of that um, did fail um, in a seventy seven to ninety seven vote um, that was in eighteen sixty eight. 
Um, 77 so to 97. I mean, that's that's closer than you might think. It was close. And apparently people on the East Coast were absolutely flabbergasted. They didn't uh, believe that that could happen at all. But it was people um, in the West and in other parts of the country that, uh, that thought maybe uh, maybe D.C. was not the place anymore. We're talking today to Livia Gershon. Uh, she's a freelance writer. She wrote, wrote this story for Smithsonian Magazine. It's it's such a hoot. You have to read this thing to really appreciate all the great details she has. We have that linked on our website. We've also put it out on our Twitter if you want to give that a look. Um, Livia, part of what I love about this is you also wrote about some of the boosters and the backers who wanted to make this happen. Um, you had a guy that you spent a little bit of time on who just sounds like a hoot. This is Logan Uriah Rivas. Uh, he was one of the most outspoken supporters of this plan. Who was this guy? Yeah, he was apparently a real character and was um, just incredibly, um, had a strong position for this idea. Um, And he actually, uh, he apparently was a very interesting looking guy. Um, He had a long, messy red beard and uh, he walked bent over a cane uh, because of a childhood illness. He had actually um, tried to be a school teacher, but the kids laughed at him so much that he failed in that career. Um, So then... (laughs) He went to St. Louis and decided to um, start a newspaper and um, become this booster for this idea of, of moving the capital. He had the idea that um, the U.S. would eventually stretch not just all the way to California, but also um, up to Alaska, down um, all the way through Mexico. He just thought that uh, that St. Louis was going to be the center of an enormous United States that was going to cover the entire continent. This guy sounds like he definitely had a way with a phrase. He called St. Louis the great vitalizing heart of the republic. And then you have this great contrast with how he saw D.C. He wrote that Washington was a, quote, distant place on the outskirts of the country with little power or prestige. And we might laugh this off. I think St. Louis is somewhat inclined to boosterism. But the the publisher or the sorry, the editor of the Chicago Tribune, he was in favor of this. Yeah, and I think some people had thought, well, maybe Chicago would be a good place to have a capital. But he said, um, no, Chicago will get enough benefit if it's in um, St. Louis, and St. Louis is, is in fact, better suited to it. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of interesting that he got behind it, and that did seem to give the idea some momentum. Hmm. So I understand that the boosters, the people who wanted to bring this to St. Louis, they had an area in mind. This was the area that people t- would today know as the area near Jefferson Barracks. Did that have any impact on on local property values at the point that this was a hot topic of discussion? discussion. There was apparently some property speculation in that area, and it wasn't really a part of the you know city as such. It was kind of a less used area. It had been um, an, a Union Army training post, um, and so they they thought this would be the great a great place for it. And there was a former congressman, um, Henry Henry T. Blow, um, offered to donate 500 acres. He was a big landowner, um, and he offered to donate that. But in return, he was going to be able to build barracks for federal employees to live nearby. So he clearly saw himself as kind of building up this uh, new new property. Sort of like a classic developer move. Like, oh, I'm going to donate this land, but there's also a little bit of benefit for me there. Exactly. So part of what I thought was so interesting about your story is you're detailing all this interesting history. You also suggest that there was um, an element of racism in this suggestion that the capital should move to St. Louis. How so? Yeah, there were a couple of different ways. Um, One is that a lot of the backers were what was called at the time liberal Republicans. And that was um, sort of in contrast to the radical Republicans who were behind Reconstruction and and really, you know, had the vision that this was going to become a multiracial democracy. Um, And liberal Republicans kind of said, well, that's not necessarily the direction we want to go. And instead, sort of the the better thing to do to move the country forward is to focus on westward expansion. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was it was sort of a pushback from the idea of having a 
genuine um, multiracial democracy through Reconstruction. And this ends up uh, bringing in a, a name that is well known here in St. Louis, also a name well known in St. Louis, Joseph Pulitzer. He was part of this movement as well. He was, yeah. Um, and there were actually, I guess, a number of people who were involved who went on to have big careers in New York after the uh, the movement to move the Capitol failed. So it's sort of interesting that they uh, they kind of moved on from the city after that. So this movement, it did fail. As you say, there was a congressional resolution on this. Two of them stalled out in the Ways and Means Committee. And then there is this one. This was introduced by a Wisconsin representative, February of 1868, came to a vote on the floor. And this was the vote you referred to, failed by just 20 votes here, 97 to 77. So as you said, that shocked some people back east. Was that the end of this idea at the point that they came so close and yet didn't get it? That wasn't quite the end. The, um, the editorial from the Chicago Tribune editor actually happened a little bit later than that, but it did sort of fade away, I think, gradually that people uh, kind of realized that this was, in fact, not going to happen. And uh, gradually more people backed off of it, although um, Revis, who was just an absolute fanatic for it, apparently uh, kept boosting the idea for, for quite a long time after that. He, the newspaper uh, publisher would not give up. That's right. So it's interesting, as you say here, uh, the seat of government did not move here. We certainly didn't move the Capitol building, but the army headquarters did. Was that tied into um, some of the same thinking here? Yeah, for sure. Um, and sort of the idea of westward expansion. And, um, you know, of course, along with that is the genocidal policies against Native American nations um, was was um, a part of what was going on that I uh, one of the um, uh, historians that I spoke with said that uh, that William Sherman actually felt freer to pursue a kind of military exterminationist policy from St. Louis than he did from Washington. So it does seem as though um, this was, he felt, a good place to conduct sort of some of the absolutely terrible um, Indian wars that were going on mm. after the Civil War. It was interesting, as, as you pointed out in the story, um, it was the same troops that pulled out of the South um, after Reconstruction. They ended up protecting the railroads in the West sort of a shifting of, of national uh, priorities there. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of a, a idea that the way that this um, country is going to move forward is through, a, um, you know, a, a bringing more white people and extracting more resources from the West um, rather than sort of uh, correcting some of the lack of democracy elsewhere in the country already. Hmm. Well, Olivia, the story is so interesting. I have to say, here in St. Louis, um, it was passed around quite a bit. I think people were, were just intrigued by what you had unearthed. What first got you onto this subject? Um, well, uh, my editor actually suggested the idea. I had not been aware of this. And I was um, was kind of, I reached out to a few people in, in St. Louis who I found out were also not aware of it. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was interesting to find that out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was, uh, once I started uh, looking at it, I was absolutely um, fascinated. I think it's such an interesting time in the history because there were um, sort of, it seemed like so many possibilities that people didn't know what direction the country was going to go in or, you know, where its boundaries were going to be. All sorts of things were up in the air. Yeah, I mean, now that you've sort of dug into this and, and you've talked to some experts about it and, and really plumbed this history, do you ever think about the road not taken? How different our country would be if the capital had ended up being St. Louis, Missouri? Yeah, it's a good question. I actually asked that of the historians that I spoke with, and um, they seem to think that it would might might be uh, pretty good in a lot of ways, that it is um, sort of lopsided, that we do have so much institutional power of, of all kinds on the coasts now, and that if you did have the seat of government in the middle, it might sort of counterbalance that to some extent. Hmm. So even if the people who wanted to do this maybe weren't doing this for entirely good reasons, there might have been some good that, that had come out of it. 
Yeah, I think so. So do you think, I mean, here you are talking to us today. You've written this great story about this. Do you think we can start a movement that we can restore (laughs) St. Louis to the place it it should have been at? (laughs) It's a great idea. I'd love to see uh, people work on that. (laughs) I notice you're not volunteering yourself at this point. (laughs) And you're in New Hampshire, so it sounds like you might have a vested interest, and it's a lot easier for you if if this stays in D.C., That is true. I'm more of an East Coast person, sadly. (laughs) So this history has now come out. And and as I said, I think this this was passed around quite a bit here in the St. Louis area. Did you get much reaction in general for this story? Um, You know, I didn't personally see all that much, although I do think there were people who were sharing it um, on social media, and it did seem to, to strike a note that it was just a sort of a quirky thing, especially, like you said, the image of uh, bringing all these buildings on trains across uh, so so much of the country. Yeah. So do you see anything here that, uh, that you've learned that you find like you might want to follow up on uh, for a story down the road? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think this time period is just um, really a, a fascinating time. It's so interesting to see like how uh, places like St. Louis were growing so quickly and just, just changing so much. Um, so I think there's a lot of um, interesting uh, stuff there. All right. Well, Livia Gershon, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.